If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Problem with great introductions is you then feel under pressure to live up to them. <laughs> and all I'm going to do today is tell you a few stories. Uh, now I'm going to tell you stories from the Bible and so on. So what we're... I'm going to speak on the river of God from the presence of God uh, from Ezekiel chapter 47, verses 1 to 12. And this is what, how we're going to do it. First, I'm going to tell you a story of something that God is doing in another nation. I always do that, just little stories to help us understand what God is doing. Secondly, I'm going to tell you the story of Ezekiel's river in its historical context. Thirdly, I'm going to show how that story relates to the whole theme of the Bible on this. And then we're going to apply that to our lives today. And then right at the end, we're going to read that passage. So if you want to follow it in the Bibles as I'm talking, you can, but we're going to read it at the end. Okay, so first of all then, just one story from across the world. Um, We're working in a number of places now where the church has to be underground and is persecuted. And this story relates to a young man we know who we're working with in a closed country in Southeast Asia. And he lived in the capital city, but often did a mission trip to a particular rural area, where there was a particular village where he'd seen some young people come to Christ. And he was going, he was going one morning, and his wife said to him, I had a dream in the night, and I felt God say to me, whenever you go to this particular village, I must go with you. Now, he didn't really understand that, but being a wise man, he listened to his wife, uh, particularly when his wife has heard from the Lord. (laughs) Uh, And so he said, okay, well, you better come with me then. So when they went to their village, did what they do, and shared the gospel. Now, a couple of years later, this man came up to him from that area and said, I really want to confess something to you. When you came to that village a couple of years ago, he said, I was hired, I'm a sniper by profession, I was hired to kill you. But when I saw you come with your wife, which I wasn't expecting, I didn't want to kill your wife. I didn't want her to see you be killed. And so I just fired the other way. So I think that's a pretty good lesson to listen to your wife, don't you? (laughs) Okay, (laughs) pretty much underlines the point. and the, and the way God speaks, you know. God doesn't always speak to us directly. Sometimes speaks to us 
through others around us. That's how it works. And so that was a story. Um, I'll give other illustrations from around the world as I'm preaching, but that was one I just wanted to start with. Now I want to tell the story about Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a trainee priest living in the land of Israel in the southern part of the land called Judah at the, one of the most tragic moments in their history. Now, the previous king of Israel, who was a young boy named Josiah, had discovered a record of the law of God, which had been lost. Imagine all the Bibles being lost. These people were people of the book, but it had been lost. And they'd lived by oral tradition and occasional prophets because they'd lost the law of God. And so he found it. You know, some of the countries I'm working in, people memorise, they'll share out different bits of the Bible to memorise in case Bibles are all taken from them and they can then still feed one another from the Word of God. So, in the same year that Josiah found the scrolls, biblical historians have worked out, Ezekiel was born to a priestly family. 622 BC it was. And his parents named him. May God strengthen him, which is what Ezekiel means. Well, it was a time of great international events. The decline of one dominant world power and the emergence of a new one. The Assyrian Empire was crumbling. Now the Assyrians, not Syrians, Assyrians, different group of people, still around today, the Assyrians. I once went to an Assyrian school and they still speak Aramaic. That's the language Jesus spoke when he was here on earth. And so a little eight-year-old girl recited the Lord's Prayer to me. In She was an Assyrian girl and read and recited the Lord's Prayer to me as Jesus would have originally said it. Not that it helped my understanding particularly. <laughs> but uh, so the Assyrians had been the dominant world power and they'd taken, because Israel was divided at the time into the 10 northern tribes and the two southern tribes and had taken all the uh, 10 northern tribes into captivity in Assyria. And so Assyrian Empire was crumbling and Egypt and Babylon were attempting to become the dominant power. Now in little Judah, which was, if you like, just between those two powers, if they were to come to each other, Judah was in the, in the, cent- in the middle there. And... Uh, In little Judah, though Josiah had tried to reform and removed idolatry from certain high places where they used to worship idols, but he'd not really removed them from people's hearts. Josiah then died in battle. Judah became a servant state, first to Egypt, then to Babylon, which then became the world's only superpower. By the way, that's the history of the world 
One power rises and then gradually declines. Okay? You don't get a superpower that lasts forever. There's one superpower that's going to last forever, and that's the kingdom of God, which the Bible speaks about smashing the others and eventually becoming something that fills the earth. So we don't put our faith in superpowers. We put our faith in the Lord. And many of the people, especially leaders, were taken into Babylon, including Ezekiel, age 25. So living in exile, Ezekiel became a prophet and saw amazing visions of God. In fact, if you want to just worship for a while, read the early chapters of Ezekiel and see the glory of God described there. And actually, even that itself was a prophetic statement because the people of God thought, well, it's in the temple in Jerusalem that God dwells. And they got to Babylon and found God lived there too. And they saw these amazing wonders of God in Babylon. And uh, also, he, heard, he became the first spiritual internet and he was able to, through visions of God, tell the people in Babylon, the Jewish people in Babylon, exactly what was happening in Jerusalem at the same time as it was happening. And he saw the glory depart from the temple. He saw the siege and he had to actually enact himself, the siege of Jerusalem. And then uh, was able to tell the people exactly what was happening. Amazing. But then towards the end of the book, it says, the hand of the Lord, which was a frequent expression in Ezekiel, the hand of the Lord came upon him again. And that speaks about the presence of God. And the hand of the Lord came upon Ezekiel, it says, and he was taken prophetically and in a vision up to a, back to the land of Israel, up to a high mountain, and seeing a glorious city, which was like a cube, which is then talked about later in the book of Revelation. So it was impossible for it to be physically the restoration of a physical Israel, but spoke of a new spiritual thing that God was going to do in the earth. And so he had a conducted tour by an angel of this wonderful city and the temple. And uh, then after he'd gone around the temple, he was shown the altar and then saw a trickle of water. And the word they're used is as if a bottle, it wouldn't have been plastic in those days, <laughs> laid on its side and just little bits trickled out, just like this. Just a trickle, just a trickle, tiny bit of water flowing out. And then they went around. By the way, I've got permission to do that. I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't desecrate your place without permission. <laughs> and then they walked, he walked around and saw this trickle of water coming from the temple, from the altar. 
And an angel took him along this trickle of water, which was miraculously growing. And they, made, they walked out for 450 yards and the angel said, yeah, get in the river. And it was up to his ankles. Then they walked another 450 yards. Wow, up to his knees. Now, no other water had joined this. The trickle had become a river up to the knees. And next, another 450 yards, and it was up to his waist. And then another 450 yards, and he could only swim. He couldn't get across it. It couldn't be forded. This was a mighty river now. And then he got up to the, it was taken to the bank and saw trees start growing. Trees that brought fruit in every season, which of course, again, is... Uh, literally not possible. And then he was told, this river goes down to the desert area and eventually to the Dead Sea. And when it goes into the Dead Sea, the, you know, the Dead Sea is what it says. It's dead. I don't know how many of you have been there, but when you go to the Dead Sea, there's no life at all. You can go in it, you just try, you, you, you float, you can't sink. You just float because the salt is so strong, it just holds you up. And no fish in there. But when this river goes to the Dead Sea, it becomes full of fish. And fishermen are gathering it. Some of the marshes around are left for salt because salt's a very important commodity. But generally, it was just full of life. Trees, fruit for food, and leaves for healing. Well, that's the story. What do we learn from that? And how does that fit into the whole biblical theme on this? Well, firstly, throughout the Bible, temples where we worship are meant to be a source of blessing to people around. Often wasn't recognised, but that was the idea. So when the first in the first temple, that was the case. Where was the first temple? Are you brilliant? You were here in the first meeting. Oh, dear. I'm glad he was honest, aren't you? Yes. The first temple was the Garden of Eden because a temple is simply where God meets with men. And God used to come down in the cool of the day and meet with Adam and Eve. That was the very first temple. And all later temples were modelled on it. If you read carefully, you find there was engravings of trees and animals and so on. It was started in a garden. That was the first temple. And it says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters and was Pishon, Gihon, and then two we're familiar with, Tigris and Euphrates, which are there now in the places where there's war in the Middle East, around those two rivers. And 
And so the idea was a river goes out to bless the surrounding area. Today, the temple is not a building, but it's a church. It's the gathering together of the people of God. Paul says, and in him you too are being built together to become a temple in which God lives by his spirit. And uh, so we are a temple. We're individually a temple of the Holy Spirit. And, and so the temple is the launching place for world mission. Its river goes out. The temple was also the place of sacrifice and offering. He's equal tree trained as a priest. You'll be familiar with this. So the source of the river of God is the cross of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to me. And that was said in the context of Greeks coming who were unable to get into the temple because there was a barrier to say they couldn't go any further. But they say, well, can we see Jesus? And Jesus said, yeah, when I'm lifted up from the earth, the cross is for the blessing of all. Not our sins only, say the gospel, say the gospel writers, but for the sins of the whole world. So, but notice, the further Ezekiel got away from the temple, the deeper the river got. Okay, the deeper and more powerful river guy became, the further you go away from the temple. You know, distance is not... It's symbolic, not just geographic, where the greatest need is. The further you go in our mission to bless locally and globally, the more you experience the presence of God. That's what this is teaching. Some people in our style of church, that's Bible believing and believing in the Holy Spirit, often say, to me, often say are you still in the river? And what they mean by that is, are you still having sort of manifestations of the Spirit in your meeting and your personal life? I say, yeah, I'm still in the river because I'm going to where the river goes, to the tough places of the world. The river is for mission. And God is at work in those sort of places. The further it goes from the temple, the deeper it gets. God's at work all around the world. You know, I, there's a lady my wife and I know well in one of our churches. Now, she was a Muslim. She knew nothing about Jesus except that Isa Masih, that's Jesus the Messiah, was a prophet in the Quran. This lady suffered from epilepsy. And one night she was asleep and Isa Masih, the prophet in the Quran, you know, you can start witnessing to Muslims from the Quran. So don't burn it. You rather use it to reach them because the there's things in there that refer to Isa Masih. And she knew about this. And while she was asleep at night, Isa Masih came and touched her head and said, you're healed of your epilepsy. Well, 
She did what you're supposed to do if you've got been healed. Went to a doctor to check it out. And uh, the doctor said, yeah, there's no sign of epilepsy, but it's impossible. And so she then didn't know what to do next, but in the end went on the internet and Googled anyone in her city knew about Isa Masih. And somehow that led her to our church website. And praise God, she's a regular baptised member of that church now. Okay? Because God's at work. You understand? God's at work. He's there. The river is where the need is greatest. Many people, I could tell you so many stories of people having dreams and visions in this part of the world. It just needs Christian believers to be there to explain what those things mean and disciple them. Because God is at work. The river is there. The New Testament perspective. Jesus was once at the water pouring at the Feast of Tabernacles or Tents. What that was, was the, uh, they used to have a feast once a year where everybody lived in tents as a memory of when they were all in tents in the wilderness. On the last day, they used to have the water drawing ceremony, as it's called. And the um, priests would come with these massive water vessels and pour out the water, remembering how God gave them water in the wilderness. And on that last day, which is when it took place, on the last day of the feast, it says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and cried and said in a loud voice, let anyone thirsty, anyone thirsty? Come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, he says, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Well, it says, so the emphasis is, you're thirsty, you drink, but the emphasis then, a river will flow from you. And Bible commentators have been struggling for a long time. Which Old Testament scripture is he quoting? Because there's no Old Testament scripture that says exactly that. But the most, li- most likely, and this is what all the, the commentators agree, is Ezekiel 47, the river of God that goes out from, uh, from the temple because we personally are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Not only is the church that, but we personally are as well. And Pentecost when the Holy Spirit first curse came to the church, was a mission event, not primarily for personal enjoyment or blessing and certainly not a consumer event. You will receive power, it says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You'll be my witnesses. When the Spirit comes on you, something will go out from you to those in Jerusalem, that's your local place, to Judea, that's the surrounding area. To Samaria, that's people close to you, but different culturally. Don't you praise God that many of us live in cities where Samaria is just there and we've got all these wonderful people groups all around us and we welcome them and we bless them because we can reach Samaria that way and the ends of the earth. 
That's where the river goes. Because the blessing of Pentecost was that each, every language now can understand the great things of God. That's a mission event. So when I speak in tongues, that's other languages, which I do, what I'm doing is firstly building myself up, but secondly, it's a prophetic sign that the people who speak that language either have already or will be able to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and praise God in their language. The New Testament makes a lot of mother tongue. It's very important. Sometimes I've seen it as a sign. On one occasion, a lady was brought to me who was, had been given just a few weeks to live from terminal cancer. The person that brought her used to be a missionary in East Africa where they speak Swahili. And I started praying. And because, you know, it's a bit of a... I wasn't quite sure how to pray. This lady had been literally told she'd got a few weeks to live. So I started praying in tongues. And this guy who had brought her, who'd been a missionary in East Africa, said, did you know you were rebuking sickness in fluent Swahili? Hallelujah. And about 12 years later, I got a letter from this lady saying, do you remember praying over me in Swahili? Still, I've still got no completely cancer-free. Wow. Okay? <laughs> well, it's a sign. It's for mission. It's for blessing. The confusion of Babel is overcome. Each language now understands. And then in the book of Revelation, you get the ideal picture of the church, which draws from Ezekiel's language. It says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. By the way, when Jesus came, the Lamb, who is its temple, when Jesus came, it made the temple in Jerusalem totally redundant. Now Jesus prophesied it would be not a stone left upon a stone, but it was redundant. Why? Because where did people now meet with God when Jesus was here? One, talk to me. <laughs> where? Where he was. They met God in Jesus. He became the temple. And the temple was now on the streets. The temple touched the lepers. The temple healed the sick. The temple drove out demons. The temple forgave sins. You know, when they said only God forgives sins, they mean you have to go through the temple, the temple and do a procedure. Jesus was saying, no, the temple's here now. And he said, destroy this temple and in three days it will be built again. This speaking about his body. Yes, that's where the temple was. The rest was obsolete. And so then he says, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, that's every month, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. 
So Ezekiel's vision is taken into the ideal picture of the church, which will be in all its fullness when Jesus returns and we're in the new heaven and new earth. But we model church life on our future destiny. That is, we now understand that from the church of Jesus Christ is to flow a river that brings healing and blessing and reconciliation and reaches the tough parts of the world and reaches the tough part of our locality. Whether it's, whether it's in our own place or whether it's across the world, the presence of God in his church goes out for mission, for healing, for power, for affecting society for good, for reaching unreached people groups. And you can do all of those. Amen? You can do all of those. You bless your city. You take the river to your city. You bring, you know, one time I remember prayer meetings where we used to pray about church planting. We said, we need to take something city. Ah, well, no, no, we don't. We, we go to bless the city. Not take it. Bless. The river of God goes to bless. You go to bless tough places around this area. But you also, and I'm sure you will as a church, if you haven't already, I don't know the full history, send people to unreached people groups of the world. Maybe even in this room right now, God is just stirring people and and saying to them, there's people that have never heard the gospel. The river is there. God's spirit is there. God's going ahead of you. God, the presence of God was in Babylon. Okay. Dreams and visions are being given to people. Not only in the Muslim world. I um, remember I met in Myanmar a guy who had... He, he was a Buddhist priest. And Jesus had appeared to him in a dream three nights on the row, on the, in the row. And he's now a pastor of a church. Okay, because do you understand? The Spirit of God is there. The river's there. Let's get in the river. So how practically? A commitment to the presence of God in mission. My experience of the Spirit, the river, will grow as I'm involved in mission. The church is involved in projects which bless the city where they are. The church is involved in sending to the nations for the healing of the nations. And the objective is to fish, to spread our nets. And that picture, of course, was brought alive by Jesus who said, follow me and I will make you Fishers of men. Amen. That's what's happening. That's what happens when the river goes and that we are involved in the river. Some of you will go, some of you will stay, but all of you are to be involved in reaching the dark places of the world because that's where the river of God is going to bring fruitfulness in all sorts of situations. Let's read the scripture. Now, let me just tell you why I read the scripture at the end often. Often I do this now, not every time. I don't get into a new rut. But uh, why do I read it at the end? Well, sometimes uh, I say this kindly, but if I've got people who know the Bible very well, 
when I, you read the scripture at the beginning, they sort of, I was, oh, I know that scripture, yeah. I'll wait and listen to see what he's got to say about it. Uh, but when you read the scripture at the end after you've preached, everyone's is checking. Did he get this right? Is that really there? <laughs> so I often read it at the end. Okay. So, and it means you end with the word of God. So let's read this scripture, shall we? Uh, from Ezekiel chapter 47. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple towards the east for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces towards the east. And behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. Going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits, that's 450 metres approximately, just about that in yards as well, and then led me through the water and it was ankle deep. Again he measured a thousand and led me through the water and it was knee deep. Again he measured a thousand and led me through the water, it was waist deep. Again, he measured a thousand and it was a river that I could not pass through for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Can I say to you, have you seen this? Have you got it? That's what he's saying to him. Then he led me back to the bank of the river and as I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, that's the desert, and enters the sea, that's the Dead Sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live and there will be very many fish. For this water goes there, that the waters of the Dead Sea may become fresh. So everything will live wherever the water go, river goes. Furthermore, uh, sorry, fishermen will stand beside the sea from Engedi to Enaglaim. It'll be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. That's the Mediterranean to them. Amen. The river's going. Are you in the river? Yeah. Are you in the river? Do you want to go in where the river's going? Do you want to see where the river is at its deepest? where it's bringing the greatest amount of blessing in the dark places of the world. Let's pray.